And good morning from Windham, New Hampshire. This is PFG Live. And uh, CJ Stevens checking in. Welcome. And Carl, welcome aboard. Carl is reporting 44 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny in the Rhode Island. And you don't have, just because it's a small state, you don't have to put the RI in little letters. CJ Stevens says 70 degrees and 29% humidity in a beautiful East Tennessee. Welcome. Um, let's see. Uh, somebody, somebody had a weather report. I, I'm going to get to White Plains here. Well, DBX is checking in near White Plains. White Plains is reporting at 1756 Zulu, winds 360 at 6 knots, visibility 10 miles, clear. Temperatures 06, dew point minus 03, altimeter 3045. And the remarks are unimportant. Welcome aboard, sir. Evils is checking in at 18 degrees science and 57% relative humidity indoors in Ghent, Belgium. Widget Works, welcome, sir. Uh, Widget Works reports six degrees science, 41% relative humidity, minus seven C dew point. Good on you. Edmonton, Alberta. Welcome, sir. And of course, Tuck is here from the Buffalo, 44 degrees Fahrenheit and partly cloudy in Buffalo, New York. Welcome. Well, it is gorgeous here. Windham is currently uh, 40 degrees and 51% relative humidity. And Manchester Airport, if you're taking notes, uh, at, uh, <laughs> I have to tilt my head, 1753 Zulu, it's 280 at 8 knots. Visibility 10 miles, sky broken at 3,500, temperature 03, dew point minus 07, altimeter 3046. Oscar Heinen, welcome aboard, sir, reporting four degrees science in southern Finland. Welcome. Uh, let's see. I had a second Finland customer pop up. I don't know if you were number one or number two, but I shipped to Finland, I think last week. Hi guys, it's Sunday and it's an awesome Sunday too. Oh, Flat Lapper has joined us at with 52 degrees Fahrenheit, sunny, southwest 19 miles per hour. It's a little windy in Northern Illinois. Welcome. So if you had, a, if you drove to Canada, Flat Lapper, uh, at normal highway speed, how long would that take you? I mean, if you needed good beer, how long would that take you? We'll, we'll get the answer. Robin says, here's Robin's report. Stand by, get your pencils. It's a beautiful day. Can't argue with that. I went outside. Uh, my wife was uh, doing outside work and uh, she told me that I also was doing outside work. So <laughs> I went out and cleaned the gutter in the back and uh, sat in the sun for a while. And it was just absolutely gorgeous. Also, I checked my solar panels. And unsurprisingly, the sol solar panels were limiting out. We were getting 11.3 kilowatts, uh, you know, around noontime. It was pretty awesome. So welcome. We have some cool stuff to talk about today. I want to recognize the crowd that has filed into uh, Discord, starting with Robin Renzetti, uh, Tuck's Garage, Evils, DBX, Unix Carbide, Carl Tauber, Widget Works, and Flatlapper, all enjoying 
the hors d'oeuvres in our uh, in our Discord chat room. Uh, let's see. Busy week. Uh, lots of uh, stuff professionally and um, didn't get a lot of grinding time this week, although I, I forced myself because I have a client that's been patiently waiting for something, and we're going to talk about it today, to get in on uh, yesterday and get some work done and made made a very good uh, chunk of progress on a project that we're going to be talking about. Uh, also, we're going to be talking about um, grinding tools, mandatory grinding tools, tools that you need within an arm's length when you're standing at the surface grinder. Um, and that list has grown over my years of learning how to use a surface grinder and cranking out work on a surface grinder. So we'll talk about that today. And I will give you a hack RH update on our little widgets. Um, uh, and I'll tell you some discoveries we've had. Netman. Wow. I didn't know that uh, a superhero of the net would join us. Welcome aboard, sir. Uh, I think this is your first time here, is it not? I believe it is. We require a location and a weather report before you're able to partake in the hors d'oeuvres. I want to say a big thank you to uh, John Saunders of Saunders Machine Works. Um, John, I, I, I loaned John a uh, an arbor for his balancer. He bought one of these Okamoto balancers, um, and he sent it back wrapped in one of his T-shirts, which I'm proudly wearing. Um, and I want to say thank you very much, John. That was really nice. I told him he has the best packing material of any company. I, I, when he sends out those uh, those uh, tooling plates that he makes, those huge tooling plates, I, I don't know how many T-shirts it takes to wrap that up, but I would like to know. Well, welcome aboard. Uh, and Netman, you are welcome. You'll figure it out as we go here. Let's see. Um, just checking for some messages coming in. So... Uh, I wasn't going to bring this up, but evils, evils made me bring it up. We're at, um, can you see that? Yeah. We're at 999 subscribers. So if you call your cousins, call your brother-in-law and uh, let's take care of that in whatever direction you care to. Um, all right, we'll just leave that there. So. I'm going to start backwards. We'll start with the hack RH. Uh... <laughs> okay. So Netman, I, now I know where you are. Netman says evils told me you can use his weather report, whatever that means, unless it's not 18 science. No, that's fine. You're, you are absolutely welcome here. A friend of evils is, is, uh, is a friend of ours. So as you are no doubt aware over the last few, uh, weeks, maybe months, Oh, evils did it, right? <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, there we go, folks. Oop, no, don't do that. Go back to my report. Yeah. 1,000 subscribers. So here's the rest of the story. <laughs> evils confessed to me before, the, uh, before we started that he unsubscribed so that he could be the one to push us over 1,000. <laughs> So thank you very much. That's, that's fun. We got that out of the way. So, uh, we've been making, you know, using these Adafruit feathers. Let me show you the one that's running right now. In and around the shop, it started with, uh, 
the Sensorian relative humidity sensor. And now we have our little, our little workstation here for playing with the uh, Adafruit Feather. This one happens to be the Adafruit, uh, I can't remember, ESP32-S3 reverse TFT um, with a battery, LiPo battery, and the SHT45 um, temperature and humidity sensor. And the challenge, they work. They work great. They're doing what we want. But the challenge has been, what do you do with the data, right? So we've we've come up with a couple of things. At first, DBX um, taught me about <laughs> Sirius SHT. Exactly correct, Unix. Uh, DBX turned me on to this server called uh, notifyntfy.sh. So we started using that. And that was pretty cool. Um, and then we, we got back to the Adafruit IO server. So let me just show you what that looks like. So here's, if, if you're watching on the video, I just put up the, uh, the SLW-1 um, dashboard, which has a couple of graphs and a couple of sensors on it. But these are live reports of my sensors, including the one I just showed you, KP4. And this is really neat. So this is working out great. So the next part of our, our uh, experimentation has been battery life. How do you make these things last a long time? And uh, KP2, which was downstairs inside of my bamboo uh, AMS on unit number one, actually lost, uh, killed its battery um, yesterday, I think. And I didn't know why, because it, I thought it was fully charged when I put it back into service with new software, but apparently it wasn't. So I decided to take a couple of steps. So what I did on, on KP2, we're up to version 19 of the software, is one of the things it was doing was going to the NTP server and pulling a time hack off the NTP server, that's network time protocol, and setting its internal clock. But then I realized we're never using that information. <laughs> so I, I killed that, or I put in an option in the configuration file to not do that. So that saves some energy. And we were also posting to both the Notify server and to the Adafruit IO server, and I turned off posting to the notify server. So it's only posting to the Adafruit IO, also saving some battery. It is doing this once an hour um, and we're getting some pretty impressive results. So on the screen in front of you, you can see that um, the other three units that are running are happily running for a very long time. And uh, the battery life in general has been pretty uh, amazing. So I, I have some designs on uh, packaging this thing up with an appropriate battery um, and calling it done. The, the unit that wants to go into the uh, bamboo AMS, I really like the, the side mounting on the side of the AMS, but we only have about maybe, maybe a half inch width uh, available. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at one of the bigger LiPo flat batteries 
and then one of the feathers and the sensor all as flat as we can make them to to stick in the AMS like that. So that's a that's a design that's starting to roll around in my head and we'll we'll see what happens with that. So that's the update on HackRH. We're at, I can't believe we're at version 19. Um, and we will keep you guys posted on that. So uh, another thing I want to say is thank you very much to uh, James Clow uh, of Clow42 fame. His channel is Clow42, uh, C-L-O-U-G-H-4-2. And James gave me a shout out, uh, gave Kinetic Precision a shout out for, because uh, he's a customer of PFG Stones. And in his recent video on regrinding a uh, suburban tool uh, squaring chuck, he, he shout out, gave us a shout out for his use of PFG Stones. And that was really nice. Um, so really briefly, uh, he asked at the end of the video if if anybody had um, suggestions or different approaches to doing it that he'd like to hear it, and I almost started writing a diatribe in in the comments of his video, but I, I decided I wouldn't do that. But I wanted to touch on a couple of things first, and then I want to bring Robin in to correct my errors. So the the he started with. Um, assuming he, he caught himself on this he started with assuming the bottom was flat and later he found out the bottom was not flat one thing that i've discovered on these chucks is that the you know they're they're two plate they're, they're the they're the poles the magnet poles on top um of course the guts inside which we're not going to get into and then uh, uh a a flat plate on the bottom which is only about i want to say three-eighths of an inch thick thereabouts and when I got my six inch squaring chuck off of eBay of, of suburban tools fame, um, it was bowed out on the bottom pretty significantly. And, uh, Paul Morley says it, we should try to have James on at some point. I would love to have James on. That would be great. He's a good guy. I like him. He's a good craftsman. Um, so, so, uh, starting with the bottom, the way I would do it is starting with grinding the bottom flat well then you say well if you put the top of the chuck down how do you how do you know it's flat so my trick which i've done before is to put three dots of uh our favorite green polyester tape on the face of the chuck and putting it down so now you have three points of contact at least it's, at least it's not going to move around and then go ahead and uh flatten the bottom and then flip it over and now you got a flat bottom and now you can dust the top of the chuck. Um, that was the major thing that I, I thought, uh, would have been a better order of operations. And I think James would agree. Um, but the other thing about that particular chuck is because it's a squaring chuck, you, you now have to sit it up on end and get it to be 90 degrees when it's sitting on its edge. And that's a whole new process that, um, you know, if he's going to use it as a squaring chuck has to get done. And that was very challenging. I, I wasn't, I don't think I ever really felt super confident about my process for that. Um, Paul Morley says, was your concave on the bottom? That's exactly what I wondered 
was actually intended by suburban. No, it was not concave. It was convex on the bottom. In other words, if you took the, if you took the chuck and you, you plopped it down on the surface plate, it would spin. Okay. It was, it was uh, proud on the bottom. And I don't remember the numbers. I can't tell you exactly how much, but it was, it, it required uh, fixing. And honestly, once it was all fixed up, it was a great tool and I've used it a lot. So I subsequently purchased a Herman Schmidt off eBay. <laughs> I was very happy to do that. And I don't have to tell you that the that Herman Schmidt was just, you know, perfect right out of the gate because it basically was. So that was, uh, that was a story, but thanks for the shout out, James. And you are welcome, uh, when, when you're able to come on and be a guest, um, so really briefly, uh, I want to, I want to go over, um, yeah, I think we're going to do this in opposite order. I'd like, I'll tell you about this magnet that I dealt with, uh, yesterday. So I have a client that's doing a, a, a very interesting project and I can't get into the details of, uh, what they're doing, but his requirement was for a, one of these very strong neodymium magnets to have a flat surface, uh, our kind of flat, like very flat. And, uh, so th they came to me for a couple of reasons. One of which was the PFG stones. Uh, and I, I started by hitting them with the PFG stones to observe what the behavior was. Uh, and it turns out that these things were not flat on their, on their ends. This is about a one inch diameter cylinder of length one inch. So one of the, one of the faces was convex. One of the faces was concave and that was revealed. Let's see if I can get a picture for you. That was revealed, uh, through the PFG stones. So that was using them in, in diagnostic mode. Let me find you a picture of that. Yeah, here's a picture. So this was, uh, after hitting it with PFG stones and before touching it with the, uh, with the grinder. So the center of that cylinder is shiny. That's where the PFG stones were hitting it and the edges are dull. So this was after working it for, for quite a while. Um, so this particular one is con, I always have to catch myself convex. So we decided that it was ready to go, uh, for grinding and started grinding on it. Now, one of the challenges here is that the material was, is, uh, nickel plating. So it's nickel on copper. I don't remember the exact order, but there's a couple of layers, top layer being nickel. I believe the next layer is copper. Eventually you get to the neodymium of the bulk of the magnet. And you've seen these, these magnets, the shiny, they shiny and silver colored. Um, so we went ahead, we meaning me and the grinder, uh, and started, started touching off and, and working on it. Now take a look at this picture. 
especially you guys listening on the uh, podcast, take a look at this picture. Um, as soon as I came over and, uh, the, the magnet, the magnet started pulling Rob, Robin's laughing in the chat room. The, the, uh, the magnet started pulling fines, steel fines out of my wheel. <laughs> so we, we might have invented a new way to clean your wheel using a ridiculously strong magnet. But uh, it turned out, and I was really concerned that the magnet holding on to stuff was going to be an issue. And it turned out it wasn't so bad. Uh, it actually worked out pretty well. So we did the normal, you know, touch off super carefully. Um, and frankly, I was very, very, very cautious about this. So it took me, you know, 10 times longer uh, than it would have taken Robin, uh, to do this. Um, let's see. So here's a picture where you can see we started making contact and we started, uh, working our way across the, the magnet. All told, we took a total of about two thousandths off the end of this thing until we got a flat surface. And, uh, and that worked out fine. So let me see if I could show you. Here's the here's a picture of the of the fixture itself. So I used my um, grinding vise, and it held a roughly two by four inch uh, piece of sixty sixty one aluminum that was about six inches tall. So, and then at the top of that, we made our clamp with a board hole to hold on to the magnet. So the idea there was that the magnet was far away from the magnetic stuff below it. And then I used an eight inch wheel, which is the biggest wheel I could run and retracted the part of the wheel housing that's retractable so that it was far away. So we moved everything magnetic away from it from the top as much as we could. And then we just treated it like any other piece of metal and that worked out pretty well. When we were all done, we ended up with, here's a nice picture of the, uh, of the top. Uh, we, we ended up with a very nicely ground surface. However, there's a couple of things that look like scratches in this picture and they actually were, um, the plating, the nickel plating starting to get to the end of its, <laughs> the end of its thickness. Uh, and then it was starting to get down to what I think is copper. So was this acceptable? Probably for the, for the application, but, uh, it was very interesting that, that I had to get down that low before this thing finally flattened out. The next step I did was I, I diamond, um, lapped it. I have a copper lap that was given to me. Let's see if I can give you a picture of that. Here we go. Um, this is a copper lap on the left that was given to me by almost machining and it has concentric, uh, grooves in it. And I have a little bit of diamond paste that I used and I did literally, this was, this might've been five minutes of effort in lapping just to get to a point where I could use the optical flat.
Carl says, when grinding stainless, you can't use a wheel that has been used on carbon steel. So you may need a fresh wheel on the magnet. Yeah, I think if when we get into this, when my client says, okay, now I need 50 of them, uh, we'll, we'll definitely get a fresh, a fresh wheel. I was starting off right in the, in the dark. So, uh, this was all experimental and I was okay with that. Um, anyway, once we, we did that, uh, what do you know? We started getting, uh, bands that were not the best bands I've ever made or seen, but they did the job. And it indicated that we were, we were in flatland and, uh, and getting there. And this is the point where I stopped. I got, I got to this point and at least I could see the end of the tunnel, uh, or I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it seemed to, um, it seemed to work out pretty good. Uh, yeah, Carl, Carl says your client may not be happy if the sample parts start to corrode. Yeah. There's more that you don't know. I could absolutely guarantee you that won't happen. Um, we just need flat. It would be nice if we had, you know, perfect flat, shiny, you know, never go through the first plating layer. But for the moment, I think we're going to be okay. So this was, there's a couple of, there's a couple of lessons here. And, and, uh, uh, Robin, do you have a couple of comments on here? You want me to bring you in to talk about this a little bit? You could nod your head or shake your head. I don't have audio for you. Yes. Okay. So I think this is, this is going to get us where we need to get to, but let me bring, let me bring Robin in here because there's always something to learn. Oops. Sorry. Click and Robin, welcome. You are live. How are you? Don't believe the hype. Don't believe, <laughs> don't believe anything you hear. Um, uh, just you, a few comments. Hang on. Uh, uh, Zom, this is awesome, LOL. I don't know who you are, but he says it's going in a high vacuum chamber, I guess, some scientific experiment or something. <laughs> and then he basically said, oh, my gosh, it's Robin. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to touch on where they go or anything, but you have enough information to know what I'm trying to do. Go ahead, Robin. What are you going to say? Just a couple uh, comments. Um, and if they were electroplated and you were having that convex shape, uh, I would assume that that magnet started out convex itself because the electroplating you would have the corners the edges would tend to be a higher current density area even if they're doing all their best to prevent it and if anything that would go somewhat concave relative to the plating so but just the, one one comment yeah so the interesting thing was uh one side of the magnet this is this is almost unsurprising one side was convex one side was concave so okay. i and they i i just they started could be it could be electrolyst nickel where that's all out the window where it grows evenly because it's a it's a chemical reaction versus an electric field type thing going on and and the good news is we actually do know the manufacturer or they have a line to the manufacturer so we can actually have that conversation if it's important i don't know if it's important yet um unix carbide says lesson number one 
keep that chill client. They are chill. You have no idea how chill they are because you have no idea how long I've taken to get to this. So they've been really, <laughs> they've been very nice. Uh, Evils sends a YouTube video with no uh, particular uh, uh, bearing. Um, Flat Lapper says, yes, the copper will do that too. So I'll find out. I'll ask some questions. Um, I'm, I'm, but we got to it, you know, the most important thing is get somewhere and then we'll let the client say, oh no, that's fine. Or, oh my God, we can't do that. In which case we'll, we'll solve that problem. But, uh, I, I don't know. The only thing I could have done in, you know, hindsight is an exact science. I could have taken less time by being a little more aggressive, but I was real nervous about this particular part. So I spent a few hours marching toward this, you know, conclusion. Um, also, I, I did just one, one point of data. I was using a white wheel, sta bog standard white wheel, 46, probably, probably H or I. Yeah. Unless, unless I'm mistaken, the comments about using a wheel on, uh, that's used cut carbon steel on stainless is purely because of the smearing action that occur, basically transferring a non, uh, rust resistant material on top of the stainless. It's not that the wheel doesn't cut stainless. Gotcha. Yeah. That, that, and that's my uh, opinion, which may be incorrect, but <laughs> not valid in all 50 States. Your mileage may vary. Um, Last thing I have is the, it looks like you were close to 10 millionths uh, flatness on that. You remember whether that was concave or convex? Um, <laughs> yes, I believe that was convex. And, and, and trust me, I did not spend more than five minutes on it. I, I Once I got my interference lines in interference bands, I was like, okay, I could, I could have a phone call on Monday and we at least tell them where we are but what were, you, what were you going to say about it um that is where in my opinion you for hand lapping i gotta be careful because um flat lapper's on <laughs> and he knows a lot more about flat lapping than i do um but for hand lapping which is a completely different animal you you're going to have to have a mildly convex lap to get them to come out flat so Violent. that's where that Violent agreement here, sir. Violent yeah. agreement. Yeah. I, I was using what I had. So th the yeah. fact that I had that copper lap was, was pure luck because, <laughs> because almost had sent it to me and it's been sitting on my shelf. And then when this whole magnet project came up, I said, Hmm, this could, this could work. And one of the weird things is before I even started grinding on it, if you take that strong magnet and you put it on that copper lap and you just start moving it across, it was like moving it through molasses, mm -hmm. the, right? The damping. Yeah. But mm -hmm. intellectually, you know that's going to happen. But when your fingers do it, and then you, then you can mm -hmm. just lift it up. There's like no, no magnetic attraction, but you slide it across and it was like pulling it through, through grease. It was amazing. So, yeah, I, I think knowing how they're applying this, I think this result that we got was fine. It's like plenty good. Um, but let's, we'll, I'll go back to them and we'll start putting numbers on things. Anyway, thanks for your input, Robin. I appreciate it. 
I'm going to send you, send you back to the, uh, to the discord dungeon with the other guys. Appreciate you being here. Um, yeah, and flat lapper says pre-lap, then plate, then final lap. So I don't believe that the magnets that they're purchasing at the moment, uh, predicted their application in life. So I don't think the manufacturer said, oh, these have to be super flat on the ends. Um, that could happen in the future. Uh, but, but that's not what's that, that's not what's going on right now, but excellent point, And I thank you. Um, I honestly don't know where these are being charged. Um, in other words, if they're an import and they're coming in already charged, you know, we have to reach back to the manufacturer, but if they're being charged, uh, here and maybe even plated here, that could be good. Anyway, the, the, the main teaching point here is that I, uh, built the fixture, took care to build the fixture, took care to think about the surrounding magnetics, because boy, if this thing gets away from you, it is not good. Very, very strong magnet. Um, and then we approached it at, you know, less, a 10th or less at a time, uh, until we started realizing that it wasn't going to explode. <laughs> and I have a recipe that, that will work. So that was the, that was the whole magnet thing. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to get to that, to that, uh, reasonable flatness and, uh, and do so, you know, inside of uh, a few hours. I spent about four hours on it on that project. Um, so that was the magnet story. Pretty crazy. Um, so if there's any questions about that whole magnet episode, put them in the chat and we'll see if we can't, uh, address it. But I was very impressed with, <laughs> very impressed with the strength of these magnets. Holy cow. And I know these aren't the biggest ones you can buy. Uh, so as a public service announcement, let me just say, be very careful with these things. And the only thing worse than catching your finger between one of these magnets and, and your steel plate is catching your finger between two of these magnets, because they, the way they ship, they have two of these magnets with a plastic separator between them. And that's all in a box and that's all in styrofoam. And, you know, um, yes, Tuck, I did find the magnet job very attractive. <laughs> we had to go there, right? Okay. <laughs> so more on that later. Uh, it was a lot of learning and it was a lot of fun and, uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. I think it's a uh, flat lapper asks, is it a, a hard nickel plating? I believe it is. Um, you know, one of the things that happens as soon as this is a charged magnet, you're kind of toast. What are you going to, you know, you're going to get out your instruments and measure it. You're going to, you know, all, all these things you got to think about, you, you can't take anything for granted. Um, so like doing a hardness test, it would have been a real pain in the neck to do a hardness test. Uh, I guess I could have scr scratched. I, actually, I take it back. The only thing I did do is I used my scriber. This was, this was weeks and weeks ago. 
I used my carbide scriber, which is in a, an aluminum handle, and I did scribe it. In fact, I wrote some nomenclature on them as I was doing some early testing. And I could tell you from having done that, it was very hard. So I think, yes, I think it was a hard nickel plating. It was definitely not soft. Uh, Widgetworks says, big magnets are scary. I worked at a stereo shop way back, and one of the guys broke his finger with a big subwoofer finding the steel in the bench he was working on. I do not doubt that in a, for a moment. They're pretty scary. Um, anyway, so don't worry. The price will reflect the care I have to take. Um, so that's, that's that topic. I, so the main thing to talk about today, and this is sort of a, uh, this is sort of helpful if you're a beginning, uh, or intermediate, I consider myself intermediate, uh, surface grinder guy. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about tools that you use at the surface grinder. So, uh, if you're like me, you have your surface grinder and then usually there's some flat surfaces associated with your surface grinder, which are full of things. And then very close by, I have, uh, other tools that I need to, to do my thing. So we're just going to run through them. And if you guys think of stuff that, um, that we haven't talked about, put it in the chat. Uh, and if, if anybody in discord wants to come in on video and make a comment, just wave furiously at me and I will, I will see you. Um, let's see. So the very first thing you need at your surface grinder, I bet you guys don't see this coming. What's the very first thing you need? A ceramic coffee mug. Exactly correct. Unix carbide says a ceramic coffee mug. Absolutely true. But you need your PFG stones, okay? And this is not a this is not a, a cheap shot. Uh, a set of PFG stones at the grinder is an absolute must. Uh, the first thing that uh, any part sees before it goes down on the chuck is is a, a swipe with the PFG stones. The chuck is cleaned off with the PFG stones. Uh, very important. Uh, I I always keep the lid on mine. And that prevents any tools dropping on them, which of course never happens. That would never happen, would it? In fact, the the P, the uh, mini PFG stones were were originally uh, Aaron Walla, who uh, we haven't seen in a while, but he's okay. I checked with him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's working really hard and taking courses. Aaron was the one who who uh, instigated the the need for the mini PFG stones because he was apprenticing on in surface grinding and he needed something small for the toolbox. So that's where that came from. Um, let's see. Another thing that's used constantly is a, a thwacker, something you can thwack, uh, you know, bump parts around on the chuck. Uh, I happen to have, this is literally a brass rod cutoff of no particular design that I adopted, I don't know how many years ago. And this is my thwacker, uh, on the surface grinder. And this gets used also kind of constantly also. Yeah. Evil says also known as a drift often copper. Yes. In fact, the fact that, um, this is brass and not copper is not lost on me because it, it, uh, it flakes. 
it will flake material off and have to be a little careful because it's not, you know, you don't want those, those flakes kicking around. <laughs> I'm one that could talk. And uh, a, a copper one might be better. But this is about the right size, you know. It's, you just need a little bit of, of thwackage. Um, Unix Carbide asks, does McMaster have a part number for thwacker? Actually, this is now this is true, no, no word of a lie. If you call McMaster Car and you describe what you need, they will give you a part number and they will find it for you. They are amazing. Um, let's see. Paul Morley says flexible silicon, I think it's silicone squeegee. So when I, when I bought my Okamoto and, uh, uh, it was installed and everything, my, my tech hands me this, I guess it's about six or seven inch long rubber squeegee with Okamoto molded into it. And he says, take good care of this. Everybody loves these and they tend to walk away. <laughs> so I, to, to be honest, I don't use it that much, but yes, that is there. It's not present in my tray here, so I can't show it to you. Um, widget work says you could just send McMaster a text with a picture of what you need and they will figure it out. Yes, they will do that. Um, let's get through some of the more uh, obvious ones. Uh, I need a set of. Uh, Allen wrenches for my vices, okay, uh, and other work holding. So I use these a lot. And you'll notice on the back it says Imperial Grinder, okay. Um, and while we're on the subject of, of those kind of tools, if you need to put a hub on a wheel or tighten a hub on a wheel, which unfortunately I had to do the other day, um, this is a magic wrench. It's a, sp <laughs> I just dropped it. It's a spanner. Okay. It has the, these pins here that are just the right distance for the nuts on wheels. Generally your hub may vary. It also has a set of pins on the back. So you could use it two different ways. And I do, and I'll explain that in a minute. It's made by Sopco. It's a Sopco three, five, one, three, five. And oh, by the way, you can buy these from, let's all say it together, McMaster car. Now you don't need one of these. Okay. You need two of these <laughs> and I'll tell you why you need two of these. You take one of them and you put this in your bench vice. And now you could take your wheel and put the, uh, the hub down on these two pins and it will kind of stay there. It won't go anywhere. And then you take number two and you use that to tighten your nut. And I find that to work really well. So these are, these aren't going to set you back too many shekels, but these are super important to have handy. And then of course, the other thing you need is the, is the wrench for the nut that goes on the end of your spindle. And uh, this is the Okamoto one. It's a soft piece of steel. Uh, I've, I've stoned it. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> and this is the right size for the nut that holds your hub on the spindle. Let's see. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, let's see. 
Rob Renz just posted a picture. Hang on, I'm going to bring you in, bud, because I can't quite tell what I'm looking at. Let's give you some audio. What is that? Uh, the rear, that is a standard rear rail from oh, a yeah. truck. And I simply flipped it over, putting it on its previously machined surfaces that were meant to go on the chuck, ground the backside so it's parallel, used a woodruff cutter to cut a relief, very shallow relief groove, yep. put it on the other direction. It still has the stiffness because I have not reduced the flange at all. It gives you full chuck width all the time instead of saying, oh, I have to take my rail off because I need that last half inch of three-eighths of an inch of chuck width. So let's go, what are we going to call this? The the backward rear fence. Just, yeah. The rumor rumor Whatever. has it, Robin, that you, pay, you played bass for backward rear fence back in the 80s. Is that true? <laughs> I'm not going to participate in those jokes. Okay. Robin, <laughs> Robin passes. Okay. <laughs> In that case, uh, go yeah, go back to the room over there. Okay, good. So that's a good that's a good tip. Um, I haven't done that on mine. Frankly, I don't use a fence a ton, but that's a an excellent way to do it. These are these guys are wheel pullers, right? So this is the tools, and I have two different ones because the Okamoto hub uses a different one from the Sopco hub. But this is what you screw into your hub, and then you screw the screw in to pop off the wheel. So remember that the hub of the wheel is a taper, and the spindle is a taper. So it's really a uh, a taper taper fit, which wants to stay there until you pop it off. Um, there you go. Paul got it before I was able to uh, show it. Uh, he said, wheel extractor with inner counter screw. Right. Now, interestingly, the Sopco one has a nut. The Okamoto one, you can't quite see it, has a um, set screw. And sometimes you don't even need to move the screw. Once you screw this thing in, it's enough to pop it off. So you need, you need your wheel puller. I guess that's what we're going to call that. Here's another thing that's uh, constantly in use, a scale. Now, Evils is going to like what I'm about to say. I use millimeters as a relative measurement on the chuck. So if I'm positioning something on the chuck, I just use millimeters. It's a much more convenient way um, to measure. And frankly, if I'm adjusting something that's going to get ground, it doesn't have to be perfectly parallel otherwise i'd use an indicator i'll just i'll just use my scale and uh, this is the one that lives on the grinder um well seeing as we're talking about that you have to have a sharpie okay must have a sharpie you must have a pencil uh i have two kinds of pencils just to prove that they actually get used one is a number two pencil, kind of standard, Ticonderoga. And then the other one is a, car, a carpenter's pencil. These get used a ton. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Yeah, Unix says, one day on this show, an inch metric conversation is going to have to happen. I don't know. I'm pretty ambi, uh, ambihelical. Don't judge me. So uh, I blame Robin for 
my, my introduction to Nipex. Uh, these are the parallel jaw uh, Nipex. I guess we do we call them pliers or wrenches or maybe they're both. Uh, these are awesome. And I have this right by the grinder. And when I uh, lift a small part off that I can that I can grab with the parallel jaws, this is what I use. And then I, I'm able to pull it as, as close to straight off as possible. Also, you can take these and wrap them with um, our favorite green polyester tape. And it'll prevent any, uh, any scratching if that's what you're worried about. Flatlapper says, perfect timing. I am just now reviving my new slash used KCB 6x12 surface grinder from 1996. Awesome. Well, that's why we're putting this on video for you so you can uh, go, go back over it. Uh, let's see. I have, I have a bunch of these uh, little V-blocks that have a little clamp, right? A pin, I guess you call this a, a, well, it's a V block, but it's used for pins frequently holding them vertically. This is, <laughs> I, this is a, not a good one. I have good ones. This is a knock around one. And I keep this at the grinder. All my good ones are in my drawer for, you know, very high precision tools. But, uh, I keep this around just in case I need it really fast. And these are pretty useful for all sorts of things. And again, uh, this one is not a great one. It was an eBay find. Okay. It, with that respect, <laughs> with that, res uh, here, here's another thing that I use. Okay. This is a block. This happens to be ductile steel or cast steel. I can't remember ductile iron. Uh, this is just a flat bar and you, the number of times you just need a flat bar to align things, to, to line something up to the back of the chuck. It, this gets used a lot. Okay. And I, I will leave it as a, uh, an exercise as to whose name that is. <laughs> some of you know, and some of you don't. Good luck. Um, so in the world of grinding stones and, it, oh, we'll get to that in a second evils. Good, good question. In the world of grinding stones, sometimes I will want to put a pair of stones together for grinding. I, I have this again, an eBay purchase, uh, a little angle plate that I use a lot. And on the grinder, you can also use it to, you know, put it on the table, clamp something to it. And it's small. This is about a three inch, uh, about a three inch angle plate. Yeah. It's a three by three by three angle plate. And this is of thickness, um, 15 millimeters. See what I did there? So having one of those handy is, is good. I've got bigger ones, but not sitting right next to the, uh, the grinder. Uh, we might as well get on uh, a couple of things that I did not bring up for show and tell. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Paul Morley says small slash medium machinists clamps and or can't twist clamps. Yep. I didn't bring that up because I don't use them a lot at the grinder, but, uh, they're not far away. Uh, they also make 
these little teeny camp twist clamps. If you haven't, if you don't have one of these, go to McMaster Car, find the the camp twist clamps, which of course they don't say camp twist, I don't think, but you'll recognize it by the picture. And you could buy a little half inch one, and they're cute as a button, and they're just super useful for small stuff. But half inch, one inch, two inch, three inch, four inch, I have all of them and they're, they are also useful. Also, uh, tool makers clamps. Am I, am I saying that right? Uh, parallel clamps are super useful and I've got a bunch of sizes of those also, but Again, they're not in arm's uh, reach. Not shown, and I won't show it today for obvious reasons, is solvent. My favorite solvent is, uh, for kind of everything in the shop, is denatured alcohol. And I have one of those uh, sprayers. What do we call those things? Um, There's a generic term for them. But you pump air, you pump shop air into it, and then it works for a while. Uh... Flat Lapper says, what is the best vice size to chuck ratio? Hmm. Well, that's a good one. I think my most used vice is a three-inch wide vice. I got a four-inch wide shop-made vice off of eBay, which I'm going to be, you know, truing up. It's it's beautiful. Uh, haven't needed it yet. And I've got a bunch of two-inch vices that... I use every now and then for little, little jobs. So I think my answer is one half the chuck depth in width. That's probably too much. I think my answer is three inches. So solvent paper towels. Um, I, I apologize evils for your lack of McMaster car. Um, I'm sure that we can set up a service for you that will buy from McMaster car, package it and export it. I'm sure that will be easy to do. Sure shot. Thank you very much, DBX. That was the name of the sprayer that I was thinking of a sure shot. Uh, you know, who's a big fan of that is, uh, uh, a bomb 79 Adam Booth. I might've learned about him from him. I can't quite remember, but I have a sure shot filled with, uh, denatured alcohol, which I use everywhere. Uh, Paper towels. I use paper towels. Now I've used the cheap paper towels. I've used the good paper towels and I've used shop towels. The reason I like, I like the good paper towels. Recently I bought some, you know, the high quality paper towels from the supermarket. I don't go through a ton of them, but they're nice. They hold up. Um, yes, attached photos did show up. Everybody can see them. I'll bring you in to talk about that in a second. Um, so solvent, Paper towels, that's a staple. A wheel balancer. So you don't want to have to go very far for the wheel balancer. And I I have to go two steps around the corner to a wheel balancer, which of course is the uh, the PB8 um, uh, from uh, Kinetic Precision. And and that, that thing is awesome. Uh, it's fast. It is sensitive. And... It lets me check my balance or do my balancing really quick. What else? Um, oh, this is a good one. Oh, well, let's, uh, Robin had a, had put a picture up. Let's see what that is. Stand by. 
So you want to talk about your, your SPI? Yes. Uh, I, I bought this, uh, years ago, uh, probably over 20 years ago. And I think it was only about $375 back then. I think they're almost $700 now, but if you grind for a living, this is spectacular. I consider this better than a squaring uh, magnet because the V in this works uh, extremely well. It's and and it's a hardened uh, V block, so it's really hardened. So That's for the extreme. for the folks, there's some folks that listen to this as a podcast. This is an SPI, and the part number is nine five dash seven zero seven dash six. Is that six inches long? Uh, no, it is about four inches long. Okay, so it's a. Uh, that's the part number. You guys can look it up. And, and I um, is it is it still current? Is that still? Uh, yes. Uh, yep. Still available. Uh, I have removed the knob and done a flush uh, a flush magnet actuator on the end of that. That's what I'm showing on the one end there. Yep. Um, in in the picture in the video here. That plastic uh, triangle uh, is used on the back rail to put that block on at 45 degrees such that the two large flats are parallel to the two axes to allow you to put a part in. Now you're squaring in two axes at once, which theoretically you're doing on a, on a squaring magnet with a rail. But this is, I'm, in my opinion, this is better because it's actually magnet, magneted to the two rails, not just held. Um, and the other thing, which if people have watched my videos will have already known, but any any squaring you do with any device, whether it's an angle plate or whether it's this magnetic V block or whatever, it's important to put a support under the part at its center of gravity so that you completely remove all moment loading of that piece. Otherwise, it's being distorted by the moment loads of the weight of that thing hanging on the apparatus. And as we know, everything is rubber. <laughs> rubber, yeah. So uh, DBX just put up in the chat on Discord, It uh, the listing is on Pentulco, Pentool Company. Yep. Uh, there it is. And um, what's the price that you see there, DBX? Well, just uh, just to give us a, uh... <laughs> I think it's at least six hundred, six seventy, or something. At least. Uh, wow, up from fifteen years ago. Yeah, seven ninety five. It keeps going higher and higher. But the, so, the big hardened <laughs> is the big part of this. It's very hard, and therefore you can use that thing forever. If precision ground stones, which I just found out about. And then um, the, uh, <laughs> and then the uh, um, stoning those, and they last practically forever. That's super cool. So uh, if you stick around after the show, Robin, I'll explain precision ground stones to you, okay? Okay, I would be uh, great. Yeah, no, no problem. It's a service I provide. So yeah. uh, seven ninety five. That's not bad. Uh, excellent. Uh, let's see. Paul Morley says, I picked up and have often seen the brown and sharp magnetic V-block number 750-D for about 100 to 125 bucks off eBay. Now, is I, 
may or may not be hardened. And I think that's what Robin's getting at. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. And, and another thing with this, this, this block comes extremely square. I mean, I didn't need to do any tweaking to it at all. It's dead nuts square. The V's, both V's. And, um, so it's, it's like the perfect squaring tool. You know, I've had really good luck with stuff from SPI. I don't think they're a super high price import They're, but the, their stuff has been very good. My, I, I bought their, um, hardness tester and it very nice quality, uh, and other things. Evil says, I didn't know anyone made anything so accurate. It didn't merit a tweak from Robin. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but it depends what you're doing. It depends on your brand of rubber. Okay. Thanks, Robin. I'm sending you back. Yep. Good luck. Bring snacks to those guys. Okay. Um, oh, this is what I want to talk about. So, uh, razor blades. Okay. And including just, uh, uh, utility blades are super useful for a bunch of reasons. But one of the things you can do, let's see, I have one here where I, I did this. You could take a grind on a razor blade. Okay. And, check to check a radius and if you look really closely you'll see there is a radius there um so the, that's useful uh you can use these as straight edges to put up against a wheel to observe how flat the wheel is there's a bunch of uses for these so i keep i keep uh a couple of each flavor utility blades and single edge razors in my kit um if you use a sign plate, right? Was that holding up your hand? Yeah. Okay. Hang on. We have somebody from the, I don't know if I recognize this guy. Oh, wait, it's Robin Ransetti. Go ahead. Just to comment on the razor blade yep. uh, for uh, beginners on surface grinders. When you stick that razor blade up and you got it gripped in your vice or whatever, very important to come bring it into the wheel from the left side so that as it deflects, it flexes into a lesser depth of engagement. Come in the other way, and you're going to find out what a vibratory dressing of your corner radius on your wheel is. So um, it's another one of those examples of yeah. you must think of the vectors of the forces of the cutting tool and the deflection of the part and determine whether it's going to be an increasing depth of cut or decreasing depth of cut. First one is a crash. The second one is a piece of cake. There you go. So let's just say it again. In in these states united, usually your wheel is rotating uh, clockwise as you look at it. You want to bring it in so it's going against the rotation of the wheel. So from left, bring it in to right. Um, we, we think about that when we dress a wheel, right? We put our diamond dresser a little bit to the left because if anything moves, you want it to move in the safe direction, not in the worser direction. So that, that is an excellent, uh, excellent, uh, point. Speaking of diamond dressing, you can hang around, Rob. <laughs> you can stay right there. So, so I, I have a couple of different diamond dressers. Um, one is just a block I made, right? So here's just a one by one, uh, block. I've used this a billion different ways. This can sit on the this could sit on the chuck. 
You can rotate it around so that you use different sides of it, of the, of the diamond, or you could stand it up on this one by one inch, uh, surface and use it for the side of the wheel. Uh, oh, Carl says, so never climb grind. That's essentially yes. right. That's what we were saying. Um, well, DBX has a question before we get into the, these diamond uh, dressers. He says, what was that small triangle you held up a few minutes ago? I think I understood what it was, but can you just uh, clarify yeah. the, the little triangle? The, when you stand that V block that I showed up on its tail end and, you, and the V is obviously up and down vertical by using that uh, plastic triangle against your rear rail, you put it up against that and having the V block sits sit at 45 degrees puts the V so that the two V faces are parallel to the axis. So when you put a block in your grind pattern is going to be aligned to the face of the V block that you're looking at. And the, and the left-hand side of your piece is going to go up against the, yeah. So, so, so yep, exactly. It, it lets you put your block in so that the, these V's here, right? Oops these V's here are lined up with your two, your two axes. Yes. And then that way your grind is, is, uh, aligned with that and you're squaring your part in two axes simultaneously. Does that make sense? TBX? He says, yeah, he said, yes. Yep. Yes. Good. Okay. Excellent. Um, here's a, here's an interesting piece. Okay. This is not rocket science. This is a three inch long quarter inch ground pin. I use this, I stick it in a vise, And now when I put a part in, it makes a line contact with the part instead of the part sitting on the bottom of the, of the vise, which is a plane contact. So, uh, three points, three points, make a plane. Two points make a line. One point makes a point. <laughs> so if you have this, and, and Robin, correct me if I'm I'm off base here, but if you have a, a piece that you, it's just a complete unknown, right? Uh, and you decide you're going to use one of those surfaces as, as a plane, you could push that up against the back of your vise. But now what do you do on the bottom? Uh, I could, I put a line, um, and then another, and then in the front, you could put a, there's a bunch of ways you could do it. You could put a little piece of rubber, you could put a piece of plastic, but basically you have a single point so that it has a little give. So now you're not over constraining the part when you're going to establish a reference surface. So then you go ahead and you can, you can kiss the top and now congratulations, you have your first flat surface and you can continue to from there. So I keep a pin around to drop in the chuck to make the bottom turn into a line instead of a plane. Widgetwork says, I made a simple height adjustable one for my big grinder. That's your height adjustable. Diamond dresser. Oh, the, the diamond dresser. Uh, I just said it 50 thousandths or so below the height of my parts sent, saves me traveling the wheel up and down just to dress. Excellent. Now that you've brought that up, I now I didn't invent this, but somebody suggested it and I made it and it's a win. This is a mag switch. 
and I drilled out one of the holes and I mounted a diamond nub. So I can stick this on the work. Uh, so I don't have to go looking for some place to dress without having to move the work around. So if I, if I'm working on a, a piece that has a flat surface and I need to dress, I could just plop this on there and I have a high, a high diamond point to dress. So that's another thing which I've shown before, but it's a, it's kind of a cool tool. Evil says question from our sponsor. PFGstones.com is sponsoring this broadcast. Uh, Nas, this is a Nas question. Do you take any measures to prevent coolant splashing? I can answer that. No, I have lots of coolant splashing. So the, in my grinder, there's two, uh, what do you call those, uh, two shields that you can lift up or shove down and, and you, I set those to be as high as they can be for the particular mission. That's, that's, uh, anti-splash number one, anti-splash number two is I redesigned the front plastic of my, uh, table. It, the Okamoto came with this little bikini this little plexiglass bikini and coolant was coming over the top of it. So I made a great big honking one and, and I redesigned it. And that's, that's, uh, number two. Do you do any, do you do a lot of, uh, full, full flood grinding Robin? Oh, there it is. I never, I never grind without coolant. So, uh, your previous videos have shown some of your, uh, uh, plastic and guarding, yeah, guarding and stuff. Yeah. So the answer is, yeah, those are the measures. Uh, but, um, it depends on your situation. I, the Okamoto was definitely lacking in the front and a recent video by John Saunders of Saunders, Saunders machine works. Uh, he, he also got his Okamoto and week number one, let's redesign the splash guard. So, uh, that is a pretty important thing to do. Uh, I like full flood, let it rip cooling. Um, it's my favorite thing in the whole wide world. Okay. Let's see. Here's something I, that I like a lot. These are glassine. Uh, I don't know what you call them. Glassine squares. And if you know a friend that's a chemist, okay. Um, you can get this out of, uh, chemistry supply. It's basically, it's like wax paper, but glassine is, is glassine. It feels like what it feels like. And it's, a uh, a widget works just posted his, his version of guard all this, all the coolant from all the things. Yeah. So this is a piece of glassine. It's about a two by two. Let's see. Nope. It's three by three and it's 1.5 mils thick and it's very consistent. So when I go to, uh, uh, feel where the wheel is power off. Okay. No, no turning of the wheel. I'll bring the wheel down and I'll just move the wheel a little bit or, or I'll move the paper back and forth a little bit and I'll just come down teeny weeny bit at a time until it just hooks a grit on the wheel. And I know I'm about a thou and a half away and for me, it saves just a lot of time. Um, that's when the Mark IV 
uh, eyeball will not do. Evils was say, Evil says, I was thinking a good nozzle would help. Yeah, no, if you have a nozzle, you don't need a good nozzle. But a shower's a shower, so close the stall door. Exactly right. Widgetwork says, I, other, yeah, after showing his guarding, he says, otherwise I was standing in a lake of coolant after a day of running. Oh, Robin says, five minutes to laminate floor installation. Okay, Robin, I'll, I will take the pressure off and uh, I'll see you later. Okay, Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else do we have? Um, oh, while we're on the topic of of, uh, of diamond dressers, I want to point something out. You may have noticed that my diamond dressers are both dead vertical. Okay. And nobody nobody mentioned anything about that. The literature says you want to be at an 11 degree angle, right? So that your wheel, if this is your wheel, okay, your wheel is approaching uh, at an 11 degree angle. Well, <laughs> it turns out that if you do the math, remember the math that we were saying isn't necessary? Uh, if you move to the left of your center line about one inch to one and a quarter inches, um, the wheel will it will it uh, have about an eleven degree angle to the diamond. So I don't put the diamond dead under the center of the wheel. I move it over to the left about an inch. You're done. Okay. Uh, finally, uh, just uh, two uh, two more things. One is a Norbide stick. I was talking to John Saunders about this. Uh, a Norbide stick is super useful for hand dressing a wheel, uh, especially if you just need to just kiss off the corner of the wheel, uh, you could use a Norbide stick, which is some material that was, uh, found in a volcano somewhere on Mars. I think it's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, these are not cheap. <laughs> this Norbide stick that I'm holding is close to a hundred bucks. So, but it will last you forever. Okay. A Norbide stick. Uh, finally, uh, two two last things. One is a plate that this was a gift from uh, Adam Demuth uh, when I was looking for some hardened scrap to do some experiments on, and I have been using this plate for years. <laughs> so uh, I use it for alignment. I use it to test a wheel. I, I use it for all sorts of things. And, and if you look at it carefully, you'll see all the scratches on it. I also use it for demonstrating PFG stones. So, so I scratch it with my scriber and then I PFG stone it and I show people how PFG stones work. But having a plate around is just super useful also when you just need a little flat surface. And finally, um, five discs for the five disc method. This is uh, a set of five uh, roller bearings that was were given to me by someone who I think he didn't want me to mention his name in connection to this. And I made a little tray for him. Uh, and you could pop these on the chuck and hit them and grind them and check their lengths and tell you if your chuck needs uh, a regrind. Oh, there's one more part I wanted to show you. Uh, these are gauges. 
these are effectively gauge pins except shop made. Um, Widgetworks says Norbide is basically CBN material. That's why it's so stupid expensive. Okay, that explains it. I never really thought of it that way. Um, so I have two. I have two gauges here. One is three point eight three zero two inches long, and one is three point five three three five inches long. So on my sign plate, one of them makes a fifty degree angle, and one of them makes a forty five degree angle. And when I grind bevels on PFG stones, this is what sets up a 50 degree angle so that I can get a resulting 40 degree bevel. So these are also right in the grinding drawer. So I believe I have hit everything. If I missed anything, you guys can let me know. Um, I'm going to keep that. I mean, we can keep going here, but really... These are the things that are at arm's length that you can grab while you're working on the grinder and it gets the job done. So that's going to wrap it up. Uh, PPE. Uh, yes. So shop glasses all the time. Okay. Um, I use uh, gloves uh, when I'm doing a lot of work with coolant. Um. I can't think of any other special PPE except for eye protection. I think that's the most. Oh, and ear protection. I wear ear protection all the time in the shop. I have a pair of 3M work, what do they call work tunes? Oh, Tuck has a Tuck has an input. Stand by. Stand by for Tuck input. Wait for audio. Okay, go. Go Tuck. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. So one thing worth noting is not just what PPE to wear, but PPE not to wear. Specifically, mm -hmm. uh, any metal rings, watches, or jewelry that may be it may catch on the magnetic chuck you've got. My two cents. Uh, that is an outstanding two cents. Thank you so much. Uh, absolutely correct. So I actually used to wear my good watch all the time, like 24 seven, a Rolex. And, um, I actually noticed that I was going to, I was getting some scratches and that was from working with, um, all the abrasive materials. Uh, so I, I actually went, uh, with a, uh, an Apple watch, um, cause it's fun, but also because I could just buy another one. So it, it didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, sentimental value, but also, uh, from a safety point of view, a ring, you know, I've, I've switched to a plastic ring, um, anything magnetic that you're going to get anywhere near the grinder, you got to be super careful because if it gets stuck to the chuck at the wrong time, you can get hurt. Widget works as parallel jaw pliers check. I think we covered that one with the Knipex. Okay. And what else did you say? Respirator for grinding carbide and no nipple rings. Uh, totally agree. So as far as the respirator, um, I have a, a mist fit, mist collector, and I use that as part of my PPE really because it's sucking up uh, mist. It's sucking up dust. I'll use it even dry grinding. I'll turn on the mist collector. And uh, again, if, if you're, if you're worried about 
carbide, a respirator is excellent. Uh, is Tom Lipton's leather apron considered PPE? Um, I guess so. I mean, I, I don't wear an apron typically, but I have an apron that I wear in the shop sometimes, but I don't consider that PPE. No, if, if an apron is going to make the difference between you getting hurt and not getting hurt, I think you got bigger problems. Um, yeah, but on top of the list of PPE is eye protection. Do not fail to have excellent eye protection. You guys have seen my, uh, my 3M safety, safety glasses, prescription safety glasses. So yeah, uh, the earphones for ear protection were, uh, 3M shop tunes. It's a, it's a, um, noise attenuating headset and it has Bluetooth built in and I just use them all the time, all the time. So that's the list, man. I, we can go on and, and, and look at tiny details for a long time, but I think that is all the high points. Uh, Tuck, thank you for your input. Robin, thank you for your input and your input and your input. Much appreciated. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, even though you're a podcast listener, head on over to the YouTube channel and throw us a sub just so we know you're there. And I hope you enjoyed. Um, uh, I think we're going to call it. We're a little bit over time. You guys are awesome. Thanks for being here. I think I've covered all my notes. Yes, I did. Thanks again to Clow42 for the shout out. Thanks again to John Saunders of Saunders Machine Works and NYC CNC for the lovely t-shirt. We'll see you guys next week at the normal time. Be safe, wear your PPE, and stay flat. Doink. We went over.